Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. Today, we have a really fascinating and informative program focusing around construction and specifically the aftermath of the Surfside condo collapse. Surfside is the Miami suburb where the Chaplin Towers 12-story beachfront condominium partially collapsed in 2021 and 98 people were killed. Very broadly, there was a structural problem that had been noted in 2018 and the building had been slow to respond with repairs and as a result, the building collapsed three years later. As a result of this tragedy, some states are re-inspecting beachside properties. Our guest, Josh Thompson, is the CEO and founder of Thompson Construction, which specializes in luxury high-rise construction for commercial and residential projects within the state of New York. Josh is going to talk about the factors that led to the Surfside collapse, let us know how states are reacting to the collapse, and what you need to know if you are looking to purchase a beachside property. Welcome, Josh. Hey, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Well, before we dive into Surfside, can you give us some background on you and your company? Yes. So my company isn't what it would be without the team that we have. I feel that my team works on my business and I'm solely dedicated to my team. And what we do is we specialize in exterior building maintenance services in the New York City and New Jersey area. Primarily, we do a lot of window washing, power washing, caulking, glazing, structural repairs. New York has a uh, local law 11, which is basically every five years, every single building over six stories needs to be physically inspected by an engineer every 60 lateral feet. So pretty much full inspection all the way around the building. So a lot of times... These may be clients that we already have that now need to facilitate an inspection to where our team is basically an Uber driver for the engineer to where just basically cart them around the building, either via scaffolding system or a lift or something like that, at which point the engineer will then bring back to the building a laundry list of facade repairs, loose bricks, windows, anything that could potentially cause a hazard. These engineers aren't so much looking or caring about the cosmetic look of the building. They're more concerned about the actual security of the building, making sure that nothing is going to be falling off. That could be deadly, you know. So when you're in Manhattan and you see a lot of that scaffolding around, a lot of it is inspection and not so much construction? Yes and no. (laughs) You're on the right trail. Okay. You're talking about those green sidewalk sheds that are all over the city. Yeah. Those green sidewalk sheds are a result of local law, but it's a result of the inspection. So when the engineer does the inspection, if the engineer cites the building, they basically cite the building for having safety issues on the exterior of the building. If that gets filed with the city, that's when that bridge has to go up and that bridge cannot come down until the called out repairs that the engineer submitted are completed and also verified by that same engineer. So it's a very thorough process. Okay, great. As far as Surfside goes, just in June of 2022, 
There was a report that the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is a federal agency, is conducting the investigation, and that's still underway. The federal government has also provided an additional $22 million to that agency to complete this specific investigation regarding Surfside. But from an engineering and construction perspective, what is really known at this point in time? Well, I mean, what I would like to see from a federal institution that is performing an investigation is obviously they're probably looking into exactly why this happened, but I would hope that they would provide some insight and some direction on how to better assess buildings and also incorporating technology into different types of building inspections. I know drone technology is super hot right now in the building inspection space. I know that that is not an approved means and methods to inspect a building in New York City, but on a federal level, I would like to see an organization like the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, it would be nice to have some direction from them as to what technologies would be a good fit when performing a building and facade inspection. Talk a little bit about drones for just a second on why drones would be better in Oklahoma versus Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Manhattan's always going to be um, heavily regulated. I mean, I don't want to, I'm kind of a little bit more pro Manhattan, just me living up here and being in the market. But I mean, it's got to be the most populated city in America, 20 some million people in and out of the city every day. So it's going to be a little bit more harder to logistically put a drone on Madison Ave as possibly doing a drone out in Kansas City. I think that the population and the traffic that you would have in and around the streets or maybe there's parking lots around the building that you could close down or whatever the case may be. I think it's just a little bit easier to manage. So I think where in that instance, I feel like if these drone inspections were approved outside of New York, I think it would gradually come into the market. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do with drones. I mean, you can like take like thermal readings of the building. You can do a, a physical inspection and it'd be nice if like 90% of the inspection was done with the drone. And then if there was an area that the drone picked up that was reason for concern, maybe that's when we take a physical engineer. Maybe he does it that way. But just from a cost standpoint, that's part of the burden is some of these buildings could pay upwards of $100,000 just to do an inspection, right? So that's going to turn a lot of buildings off, right? So they're going to say, oh, no, we're not doing that. A hundred grand, you know, da, 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 da. You know, mm. It comes down to dollars and cents too. Yeah. You know, so if you could provide a drone inspection with equal data for $10,000, say, now that's a home run because now you have a, a building owner, a property owner that really at that point has no reason not to do it. And it makes it easier to roll it out to the market. Can you talk broadly about what happened at Surfside technically, but general enough for an audience of homeowners to understand? I can talk broadly from an outsider looking in from somebody that does a lot of exterior building repairs. Yes. Perfect. Okay. It sounded like everyone was aware that they had a problem and where the fiduciary management of these HOA condos especially come into play is really having the foresight of what's going on, you know, and that's why building inspections 
are so important because building inspection not only tells you the condition of your building right now, it also gives you some foresight on what your building will need in five years. It's almost like going to the dentist. Nobody wants to go to the dentist because what if I do have a cavity, then I'm going to have to get the work done. Well, guess what? If you don't get the work done, all your teeth are going to fall out, you know, like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's you know, true. so you're kind of like, you know, you can only pull that card so long, you know, so it comes down to people being well-versed, right? And I think that the issue with the condo boards is people aren't well-versed. You know, you might have a condo board that's made up of a lawyer or a brain surgeon or these very affluent and responsible, obviously, and successful people, but they may not be in construction. And I'm not going to go try to do something that I don't do every day. I'm not going to pretend I know how to perform brain surgery. You know, it's not going to go too well. So I think that them having um, planning involved because like, you know, also capital X planning, say you do your building inspection, right? Mm -hmm. And say off the data that comes off your building inspection, we say, hey, your building's fine right now, but in seven years from now, you can expect to have to redo all your mortar joints, all your caulking, all your glazing, maybe along with another laundry list of repairs. And the estimated cost on this is a million bucks, right? But that for a condo board, if they had seven years to plan that out and to explore different CapEx options, they have seven years to figure it out, how to come up with this money to have ready, to have in pocket for when these repairs do happen. And maybe in seven years, you get lucky. You know, maybe in seven years from now, the building hasn't deteriorated as bad as the engineer would have thought, right? Mm -hmm. But I think the important thing is the condo board having the fiduciary insight to think that far ahead and to prep and plan. Because I think what happens a lot with these buildings is it gets dropped on them like a heart attack. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I feel that I could imagine that perhaps Surfside did not have that foresight on what was really going on with their building. You know, it might have just been dropped on them. Hey, you need 1.5 to do these repairs. And they probably had no budget in place for that. You know, what are you going to do? You know, 1.5 repairs and you got 100 people living in the building. You know, we're going to say that, hey, everybody next month has to drop 150 right. grand into your HOA fee. Yeah. You know, that's not going to go over very well. <laughs> How does this knowledge transfer to other beachside properties throughout the U.S. in the coastal communities? Well, uh, they need to take this seriously. You know, they need to take this as a warning sign. They need to take it as, hey, if it could happen in Surfside, it could happen to me. So what specifically in New York and New Jersey, what are they doing to ensure that there is not another surfside type collapse in their states? Well, New York, New York City especially, has had local law in place for probably 10 years now, local law 11. Uh, they just introduced a local law that's similar to local law 11 for parking garages. So if you're outside of New York City and you're in government and you're looking on putting something in place, I would look at exactly what New York City has been doing because they've been doing it for so long. I mean, granted, they are pretty aggressive with their regulations, but I would look at that and kind of build my own program that works for me using the New York City model as a basis. 
The mayor of Jersey City just passed a similar ordinance to local law uh, 11 in New York City, in Jersey City. And I think the buildings have to get inspected every six or seven years. It's a new ordinance that just popped into play. And I'm actually really happy to see that. And I'm sure that other cities and our towns are going to, you know, soon to follow suit. I'm not really sure outside of uh, Jersey City what others are doing, but I was happy to see Jersey City put that into play pretty immediately after the Surfside collapse. Talk specifically about Local Law 11 for those of us who live outside of New York. Local Law 11 is essentially a local law that is subjective to the five boroughs of New York City that basically says every building that's over six stories in the five boroughs of New York have to be inspected by a certified engineer every five years, every 60 feet. So it's pretty aggressive. Do you know what other states are doing in regards to this type of prevention, perhaps on the Gulf or West Coasts? I don't know what California is doing, but I do know that they are pretty heavily regulated, pretty similar to New York. So I wouldn't be surprised if they have something out there. I do know that Florida does have a 40-year annual inspection, and every building in Florida is probably 40 years old, so that probably means they all need to do it. (laughs) Do you know if Florida actually does that? or They do. Okay. They do. Great. Uh, One of our business developers actually used to work for uh, some engineering firms, and she is very well-versed in Florida's 40-year recertification ordinance. But if you compare that to New York City, you know, 40-year ordinance, recertification ordinance compared to New York City's Local Law 11, which is every five years. I mean, I don't really have to (laughs) elaborate (laughs) anymore as to like, there's a big gap there, you know? So whereas New York may be overly aggressive, 40 years is probably a little light on what you should be doing as well. Maybe there's a happy medium (laughs) somewhere in between. Yeah, in between there, yeah. You had also mentioned that technology as far as drones. In the New York Times in June of 2022, they had an article where the security guard on duty at Chaplin Towers did not know how to activate the building's warning system and that there was a seven-minute lapse between the warning and the collapse of the building, which probably could have saved lives if people had known about it. Can you talk about the role of technology other than drones or in addition to drones in construction and how that is changing? This day and age, there's no reason through some sort of app or something like that, been able to identify everybody in the building, you know, some sort of like SOS text message or something, you know what I mean? That, yeah, you know how, you know, you have an alert pop up on your phone that like, hey, there's a, <laughs> yes. or if there's like a weather alert or something like, you know, I get severe weather alerts on my phone. There's no reason that the building's administrative team shouldn't be able to put out a similar alert to the residents of the building in this day and age, in my opinion, you know? Seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I mean, I get an ESPN alert every time something happens, you know? For owners of similar properties, what do they need to know or what questions do they need to ask to ensure that their building is not at risk for structural failures? And does the age of the building come into play? I'm just assuming many of the seaside and beach condos were built like in the 70s through the 90s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, age does come into play, but you'd be surprised 
that even some of the new construction buildings, they have a lot of issues too. If I was buying a condo and I was not going to sit on the HOA board, I would want to seriously know what my HOA board was doing about prevention, about the financial oversight of these type of properties, you know, like I don't want to move in. And then because there wasn't enough financial oversight, all of a sudden I find out that my HOA fee is $200,000 one month because now all of a sudden there's this huge thing. I would want to know like what systems does my HOA have in place to monitor, forecast, and really execute the structural maintenance of a, of a property that I was planning on uh, moving into. For the people who are looking to purchase beachside homes or condos, what additional questions might they need to ask their realtor or the HOA? In addition to seeing their financial documents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, guess what? The HOA, they vet out the owner pretty good, right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that before you move into a place, you're going to have to provide a decent amount of financials and I would turn the table on them. I would be like, what are you guys doing? You know, what do you guys have in place? Where's my HOA funding going towards? Yeah, I mean, I would vet them out just like they are vetting you out, you know? Well, it's very interesting. So in New York, the HOAs really vet you. And uh, there's been stories, you know, they don't want certain celebrities. They don't want musicians, this and that. They're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as the farther west you go, and I think, I don't know about Florida market, but in California... There's no vetting whatsoever, <laughs> quite frankly. It's just, if you have a pulse and you have the money, you can move in. Yes, <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> From what I've seen in California, I'm sure there's exceptions. I have a feeling that's the rule. So it's very different between like the Manhattan and uh, Los Angeles. Yeah. But are you finding through your business a regional difference in construction compliance? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, even just from New York to New Jersey, there's a huge difference. In order for me to send a guy on site to any project in New York, I probably need about $1,500 worth of safety trainings for each individual, right? So that can get pretty pricey when we have a crew of 25 to 50 guys on site. You know, that's going to get pricey, mm -hmm. but that's, uh, you know, why construction is so expensive in New York City. But if you cross the Hudson River into New Jersey and most of the country still operates off of an OSHA 10 hour. New York City, you need an OSHA 40 hour. Okay. So can you explain that to what OSHA and the 10 versus 40? OSHA 10 hours, like 10 hours of uh, certifications. It's, it's 10 hours of OSHA training. Okay. In New York City, they carefully vet out each tradesman, like qualifications for each trade. You know, I think it's important that you make sure that you get the industry experts to work on your property, you know, mm -hmm. um, the right people working on your project, uh, the right people overseeing your project, the right people managing your project to ensure that it's done correctly. You know, that's why a lot of companies hire GCs or construction managers. A lot of times, uh, even myself and my team, we will act as the owner's rep for different projects. I mean, you know, some of these buildings are really intricate to where there was a particular building that had some like cathedral stone on it and that these cathedral stones were cracking and needed to be repaired and they had this historical look that they wanted to preserve. 
And guess what? That is like so far out of our lane, but we still helped facilitate the project from an owner's rep standpoint, dealing directly with the HOA because we were able to go out and find like, hey, check this guy out. He's a certified cathedral stone expert. You know, <laughs> we, you know, we, we dug him up and we brought him in to specifically take care of these repairs. You know, we felt obviously this guy would have done it better than us, you know, because this is what this guy does every day. So I feel that it's just important to thoroughly understand everything that's getting done and that the cost behind it versus just looking at a number of saying, oh, well, the engineer told me my repairs are going to run me anywhere from from a million dollars to 1.5, which those engineering firms will do that. Engineers will come in and provide CapEx budgets for you and help you forecast what your expenses are going to be. But if an engineer is telling you that you need to budget a million to a million and a half for your structural repairs, and you find a guy on the street that says, I'll, I'll do it for 250,000, I would be, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, something's off, you know? Yeah. The way you're talking about it is an advocate that's going to have the homeowners or the HOAs interest at heart, and that's their job. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else that people should know about the construction aspect of condominiums, whether they're beachside or in other areas? Mm. And are there general state agencies that maybe you could reference for people to go to just to make sure that what they're buying is going to be sound? It's kind of a tough one because there's no real way for the buyer on the consumer end to verify that, you know? I mean, unless the buyer asked to see the building's engineered reports. If I'm looking at buying a condominium, I'm going to say, hey, do you guys have the engineer of record? Do you have an engineer that you guys work with? You know, when was the last time they inspected all this stuff? If you get a lot of like, uh, 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 wait, what? I'm sorry, what are you talking? You know, if you don't get good answers to that, I would be very leery of making that purchase. It comes down to everything in life. Either you're buttoned up or you're sloppy. Yeah. Excellent questions. I'd like to see some reactions. My hunch is that some people are just going to look at you like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> yeah. And if you get that deer in the headlights look, I would run the <laughs> other way, you know. Thank you so much for your time and this incredible information. You really provided some great insight to Surfside and kind of what we need to do moving forward from an inspection I think it's important, as we've noted throughout this program, right, to be diligent in understanding the construction. We didn't talk about soil and environmental aspects, but those are also very important aspects of a building when you're buying. So remember, you can't change soil. You can't change the environmental aspects of where a home or condominium is. But ask the questions. Ask for the engineer reports. That's fantastic advice. And really don't stop until you're satisfied with your understanding of the answers. Mm -hmm. Because they ain't letting you move in until they're satisfied with all your financials, you know. (laughs) That's true. If you're a New Yorker, that is very true. Thank you all for listening to the Single Lady States podcast. To learn more about what Josh discussed and to join our community, go to the website, singleladystates.com. Also, we've got some really great news. We launched our first Single Lady Estates merchandise store, and you can find our signature mug and notebook on our website.